This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser, welcome back to another week, another podcast of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for joining me. I believe this is a one of a kind podcast of, of an American Muslim that's ready, willing, able, and wanting to take on the global jihad to keep us strong, to keep us safe, to protect our national security. I realize that we have a Muslim problem that needs a Muslim solution. And before we get into all the news this week and the fronts of reform as together you and I try to breach that chasm between the Islamic world and the world of freedom, the world of liberty. I want to wish my Christian friends, brothers and sisters, a Merry Christmas. Yes, a blessed and Merry Christmas. Um, I know with all the talk year to year of the war on Christmas and uh, with all of the political correctness that just gets nauseating, I hope You can appreciate uh, these uh, wishings of good tidings and yuletide joy from your faithful, humble Muslim correspondent. And uh, I know this is time with family and uh, time to be grateful to all that we have to be thankful in this country and the blessings that we have, as sometimes you wonder when that next act of random violence may strike someone close, someone we know, when you might be looking at that cell phone instead of looking up to see a vehicle running blindly through the sidewalks. This is the horror that we live in that continues to strike us. And we pray, each of us in our own faith, and our holidays bring our families together, that we have our health, our happiness, our security, And we have countries, a country like the United States of America, that protects us and gives us the strongest military, police force, and nation in the world to keep us free. And we each give back in some way to our communities. We each give back in some way to God Almighty to thank us. We thank Him for all that we have. And on this Christmas, I hope that all of you, especially my Christian friends, have a blessed holiday and all of the wishes, all of the wishes and uh, prayers that you have during the year are answered. So God bless and Merry Christmas. You know, last year at this time we were talking about the San Bernardino shootings, terrorist act, the heinous acts by the Salafi Diobandi militants 
in California, a couple who decided to kill 14 and injure over 30 and commit an act of terror for ISIS. And now a year later, again, in that holiday season, we had a number of incidents this week, but most significant was the incident in Berlin. Vehicular terror. We still, at the time I'm speaking to you, do not know who had committed initially was thought to be a Pakistani refugee, and then it was realized that his identifications did not match that which was in the car, and now they're turning, they've turned to a Tunisian who is on the lam. Could be any of the above. The bottom line is the new mantra that I might start using on this program and I've used on Fox and other national networks is that it's the global jihad, stupid. The global jihad. Doesn't matter if he's Syrian, Tunisian, Saudi, Pakistani, Iranian, German, French, American. The nation state that he happens or she happens to live in doesn't matter to these individuals. It's a global theopolitical ideology. It's a global mantra, a belief that they would die for anything and that they would die for the Islamic State. And when are we going to learn? When are we going to learn that you look for conventional weapons and they start using knives and vehicles? You look for those who are in cells and they break up into so-called lone wolves. You look for those within communities and they spread apart. Bottom line is, is no previous pattern can always be picked up other than their ideology. Violent jihadists are non-violent jihadists before they become violent. And yet, our entire mantra is about countering violent extremism. That axis needs to change. That axis needs to become countering violent Islamism. I know we still haven't even identified specifically details of the perpetrator, but I guarantee you it's going to be that he was talking about jihad. He was traveling on websites that talked about the infidel, the Western secular atheists, the division of the world into Islam and the land of war. Dar al-Islam and Dar al-Harb. And yet, what was John Kirby? Press statement from the Assistant Secretary of Deputy Spokesperson for the Bureau of Public Affairs of the State Department. Two lines came up after the Berlin attack. It said, We are deeply saddened by today's horrendous events at a Christmas market in Berlin. Our thoughts and prayers are with the family members of those killed, and we hope for a speedy recovery for the many injured. The United States stands firmly with the German people during this time of national sadness, and we offer any support they may require. That is the statement, official statement from the State Department. How pathetic. Nothing about terrorism, let alone Islamism. The president has yet to even make a significant statement. 
Will there, uh, I, I, th- this president is going to finish his second term with clearly no tipping point ever, ever to tip him into saying that the House of Islam is going through a need, a time of reform against theocracy. And we hear on CNN, no, they were upset and flummoxed about President-elect Trump's tweet. His simple tweet in which he said that the civilized world needs to take note. Yes, the Islamists are coming from a medieval world. The Islamists are theocrats. They're militant, barbaric theocrats who attacked Berlin Christians in their Christmas market because they were Christian, because they were free. And the very recognition of that fact does not play into the hands of ISIS, if that's the way Nick Kristoff and other leftists in CNN and MSNBC want to portray it. It's easy to paint that image, but the reality is, as a Muslim, I hope if there's one thing you get from this program, it's that by identifying that that's the way they divide the world, and that's also the way the Saudis divide the world, that's the way the Iranian Islamic Republic defines the world, the Islamic Republic of Pakistan defines the world that way, the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt divides the world that way. So we have a major problem, though. The pseudo-caliphate of today, the quasi-caliphate, is the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. So no, when the left says don't feed into ISIS's narrative, you're actually saying don't call the OIC what it is, the land of Islam, and the rest is the land of war. That's the way they view it. They may call us their allies, But at the end of the day, they see us as their enemies because we are not governed by Sharia law. And the militants, the militants are not just driven by psychotic illness, but their cauldrons that brew them are a supremacy, a supremacy that basically says that the West is evil, that the Jews and conspiracies of the world that they get funneled and and brainwashed by their state media from Egypt to Syria to Iran, Saudi Arabia and Pakistan tells them that those conspiracies are controlling them, that they're anti-Islam and anti-Muslim. It tells their citizens that if they question their governments in Saudi Arabia, they will be flogged for criticizing Islam. That is what we're fighting. So yes, it is the global jihad, stupid. And yes, we do need to shift from countering violent extremism to countering violent Islamism. And no one will be safe in Rome, Berlin, Paris, or Chicago, or New York, or Los Angeles, or Phoenix, unless Muslims begin to reform against this theocracy that feeds the division of the world. So the left can continue to say, oh, don't divide the world, you feed into ISIS, when in fact it's already divided, and it is the, the way to, to treat our Muslim neighbors with tough love, is to call it what they call it, and then wake us up in the Muslim community to actually deal with our supremacism problem. Once you call ISIS's definitions of us versus them a form of Islam, Muslims will need to wake up and reform 
those ideas. And until we wake up, those reformation, that reformation of ideas that we talk about in the Muslim Reform Movement will not happen. There's a continuum of radicalization or jihadization that happens. It can be monitored. It should be monitored. We should have been monitoring websites that are anti-Semitic, that are part of the Islamist mantra. And I think ultimately that's the only... You, you can't protect markets from vehicles that decide to, as Rumeya, the magazine of ISIS, told them back in July, told them, mow over people in large crowds with your trucks like ants. How can you prevent that? How do you know when a driver is all of a sudden going to become a militant if they don't have a record? Well, the way to prevent it is to begin monitoring Islamist ideas, public footprints, public footprints, not violating their privacy, the citizens' privacy of ideas that might be unsympathetic to the state. No. But publicly, there are many Islamist sites that can be monitored and I think would keep us safer if they were. So when we come back, let's talk further. I, I, I'd like to spend some time talking further about what would a more secure Homeland Security operation look like under a Trump administration, under a more vigilant administration that calls it countering violent Islamism. What are the ideas that we can target and how do we face this global jihad? This is Zudi Jasser and I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. Thank you for joining me. If this is your first podcast, I hope you find here some hope, a sense of somebody who gets it, who's willing to take this on and beginning to build coalitions of reformists that can no longer spew apologetics, spew denial but actually begin that tough work of actually fixing the disease that's radicalizing our community. And I have a lot to talk to you about. You know, to finish what we were discussing before, I think when you talk about the jihadization of individuals, it does not happen overnight. Nonviolent jihad needs to be the centerpiece, the fulcrum of understanding. Just as in the Cold War, we understood that Soviet global militancy and imperialism was the main military threat, but the ideological threat was communism, was socialism, and tie that to Russian nationalism. That was the threat. The global threat today is jihad and the Islamo-nationalism of ISIS, of any Islamic republic and any quasi-caliphate. They might be in short term with us against 
the Saudis might be with us against Al-Qaeda or ISIS, but their ideas fuel them. You know, we're reminded now, and in this case, uh, the perpetrator is in, in, in Berlin is, is still abroad, is still hiding somewhere. And I'll remind you, November 2015, the acts of terror that killed over 100 in Paris, then two escaped and were not found until four months later when they committed a second act. So that same cell committed two acts, the second being in Brussels, Belgium. And that second act, they were they committed hastily because the police had finally honed in down in Molenbeek in a neighborhood that was intensely Islamist. That was not a coincidence. These are insurgent communities. Again, not all Muslims, not even likely a majority, but a significant minority of Muslims that believe in the Islamist mindset that come to the West not to become acclimated to the nation state of Belgium or of France or of America, but to actually simply make money and, and evangelize their Islamo-nationalism, evangelize their supremacism of Sharia law and their Sharia communities that are based in 12th, 13th century law that are misogynistic, anti-Semitic, and anti-Christian against freedom, against human rights. That is what we're fighting. So it wasn't just those terrorists, terrorists or the Islamist radicals that committed those two acts, but they were hiding inside an Islamist insurgent community neighborhood that gave them shelter. And that's a mindset. It's a state of mind that told them they were victims, that they were part of a global battle against Islam that wanted to destroy the Prophet's religion. And that could not be further from the truth. The West has allowed my family to practice Islam like it could in no other so-called Muslim country. The West has allowed my family to build mosques, to practice my faith personally without the theocrats telling me and whipping me to pray to have any of the women in our family forced to wear a hijab or forced to be second-class citizens rather than equals. But that's not the Islam of ISIS. The Islam of ISIS is a fascist, theocratic mindset, a patriarchal mindset that enslaves its citizens into chains. But that drug is an opium that intoxicates its followers into wanting to die for their jihad, for their global movement. And that's what's radicalizing these guys. And we'll continue to see week after week of attacks. Nice, before the ones we just saw, and Bastille Day, which represented French freedom and its revolution. Before that, the OSU attack with the stabbings of nine different students in Columbus from a Somali immigrant, again, the global jihad. Before that, Minneapolis, San Bernardino, Boston, every town and more towns sadly to come. And yet some leftist apologists will say, well, the numbers are small. Compare it to those who get 
hit by drunk drivers or those struck by lightning. The numbers are just exaggerating the problem if you look at the real numbers. I would tell you that it's the tip of the iceberg. It's a sign of a deeper disease, of an incompatibility of an ideology. The deeper numbers I would tell you to look at are not just the acts of terror. How many tens of thousands of Muslim women in the West are subjugated by their families under their interpretations of Sharia law through honor abuse, through female genital mutilation, through honor killings? How many acts of anti-Semitism, how much verbiage of hate is spewed from mosques that are Islamist or Wahhabi or Salafi in their mindset? What's the propaganda against the West? What is the millions? Just last week, there was demonstrations in London. Now groups that are affiliated with Hizbut Tahrir, but demonstration of one to 2,000 that gathered to celebrate the caliphate with their black flags. And by the way, as, as a Syrian-American, it was profoundly offensive. It was in front of, next to a demonstration for peace for the people of Syria. These people have no shame, but they're militant jihadists. They're jihadists that want to spread their caliphate, their Islamic states, and want to destroy the West. They should be monitored. They should be exposed. And shame on the Muslims in Britain and others who do not counter them with even 20,000 demonstrators against them to shout them down and carry signs how much they love the UK, how much they love freedom, and how much they hate caliphism, how much they hate Islamic statism, and how much they hate the Sharia state. No, we won't hear any of that. The thou one to two thousand Hizbut Tahrir supporters and caliphate supporters were unopposed. Again, this is not to say that the British Muslims agreed with the chance of these radicals, but they were unopposed, so their intoxicant, their drug of jihad was spread without a antidote. The antidote is freedom, the antidote is liberty, the antidote is reform. And we've not seen that. Americans, French, Germans need to begin to figure out how to spread that antidote both within Muslim communities and outside them and demand that our strategy in our governments include spreading the antidote against political Islam and identifying Islamist ideas. It's not just about violent extremism. This guy, before he got in his truck, whoever he was or is, I guarantee you, was swimming in grievance-mongering, was swimming in anti-American, anti-French, anti-German mindset, was pro-ISIS in his mindset. Now, listen, my family and I are very anti-Assad in our mentality, and we hope to see the end of the Assad regime. But that does not mean we're pro-ISIS. It's not a binary situation. We're also virulently anti-ISIS and anti-Islamist. There are more than two sides in Syria, and Assad has tried to make the eventuality that there's only two. 
in order to legitimize his dictatorship. But in the Muslim world, there is what was the opportunity of the Arab awakening for reform, for liberty, for destruction of the ideas of dictatorship in exchange for an opening of society. But no, that opening never happened, and it has sadly turned towards, sadly turned towards even worse humanitarian crises and in Syria genocide against the Sunnis, against Christians, against Jews, against vulnerable populations that are vulnerable to the Syrian military and vulnerable to the barbarism of ISIS. As we saw, remember back in Paris, it was the hyper-kosher market that was attacked. In Berlin, the Christmas market was attacked. Yes, ISIS wants us to be a religious war, and no, we won't feed into them by calling it a religious war, but Islam is in the mix. It's not my Islam, but this is a battle within the house of Islam. That's how we need to define it. And we need to take sides with those who are liberals against theocracy and against those who are theocrats that want to define us as not being their Wahhabi, their Salafi Islam. ISIS tried to take credit for the attack in Berlin. The Iraqi Popular Mobilization Force tweeted out that they had completed an operation in Berlin. Maybe they were just trying to take credit why does ISIS do these things? They just want to create chaos. They want us to withdraw. They want an isolationist West because the greatest threat to their spread is liberalism. That was what the hope of the Arab awakening was and now became sadly only the opportunity for radical Islam. Last, I want to spend a couple minutes. We'll talk about Turkey the assassination of the Russian ambassador and what that could mean. How do you unpack that? How do you unpack that? And I'm sure it deserves some time from me because, as you know, I've been quite critical of Russian Cold War 2.0 and what they've been doing in aiding the genocide against the citizens of Aleppo and the Syrians now since September 2015. When we come back, we'll talk about Turkey, Russia, and the strategy forward. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The Blaze 
Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This this week. Again, a Merry Christmas to all of my Christian brothers and sisters. May this time with your family answer all the prayers that you've wished for this year and into 2017. You know, the other major event, and it was a major act of criminality, of terror, and an act of war was the assassination of the Russian ambassador to Turkey. Uh, Words cannot describe the evil of this act, because no matter what anybody thinks about the role of Russia, no matter what anybody thinks about what's been transpiring in the triangulation, and even larger between Russia, Turkey, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, and that entire region. Even in times of deepest war, my understanding of the Islam I knew, and I know, is that diplomats, emissaries, are protected from all acts of war. No diplomacy, no discussions, no war could ever end if diplomats did not have protection from violence. So even in war, even in humanity's most grotesque forms in which we are fighting wars that we kill one another and between states that have to fight in war, I served in the Navy, I understand the need for a strong national defense. I am certainly not a pacifist, but even what defines us as civilized world, again, to to mention Mr. Trump's tweet, what defines us as a civilized world is that even in war, there's rules. Well, ISIS doesn't care. They massacre women. They enslave women. They rape small girls. They use seven-year-olds as terror vessels with suicide belts. We saw a video this week of a mother and father who sent their seven-year-old girl out with a suicide belt. I mean, can you think of anything more barbaric? It's hard. But the key also, I think, in what happened in Turkey is that this guy was wearing a suit, tie, looked like a regular 22-year-old, top-of-the-line Turkish security officer, had security clearances, And sure enough, Erdogan embarrassed Prime Minister Erdogan, President Erdogan, embarrassed by what one of his officers did to the Russian ambassador, a country that he had reached out to over the past month and had been coming back close to, a country that they had shot down one of their jets last year and things could not have been more tense as Erdogan had taken the side of the rebels had been keenly responsible for radicalizing the Syrian rebellion towards Islamism along with the Saudi and Qatari feeding of Islamist arms of even Al-Qaeda-like organizations from Jubat al-Nusra and many of those types of groups. So Erdogan, seeing his internal strength weaken as a result, turned to Russia to work with the Dictators Club in the region, turned back to Assad, 
Turkey had had a very close relationship with Hafez Assad for decades, and then with his son Bashar, and actually months into the revolution in 2011, stayed with Assad only when they thought Assad was going to fall to dump him and start to Islamize the revolution. The AKP, as I'll remind you, is the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey. It's the Islamist party. So it made sense that they would want the rebels to be Islamist and help Qatar and Saudi Arabia feed Salafi jihadists and radicalize that rebellion. It sort of didn't make sense when they Erdogan a few months ago started to realize that Assad was going to win, so he hedged his bets and flipped back to the dictator's club. Rather than the viral Islamist, he went back to being a corporate, top-down, autocratic Islamists. So I'll remind you, Islamists have two major varieties in the Middle East. One is the viral, grassroots, ideological sort of um, populist Islamism that drinks from the trough of the Sharia state, the misogynistic, supremacist, theocratic mindset that law comes from God's law of Sharia, and that should run the world, run the country. But its identity is Islamist. That's the Brotherhood, that's Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the Wahhabi movement of Saudi Arabia. Then there's the corporate Islamist that believes that the government should be run by simply a board of directors, of ulama, of scholars, it's top-down. The rest of the people are just sheep. They're not smart enough to make decisions. They should have laws for blasphemy, apostasy, because they can't be trusted with freedom. So therefore, it needs to have corporate injunctions of Islamic law. But the law is the same. The identity is still an Islamic state. But the custodians of that state are the king's family, are the... Uh, military in Egypt or whatever formula or, or variation on that theme, it's a top-down corporate Islamism. So Erdogan, when it was suiting him, came up through the AKP, the viral Islamists, and when it became his cult and became more cultish as an Erdogan-led government, he became more of an autocratic top-down corporate Islamist. And as the Syrian rebellion failed and the viral changes against his Shia enemy in Syria, the Shia Islamists of Assad and Iran were beginning to win. He then tried to cozy up to them in a regional way. So up comes many of the officers at the AKP who are lower level officers who are beginning to get a little irritated and pissed off with Erdogan. 22-year-old says, well, I'm going to fix this. He's working with Russia, who's killing Sunnis genocidally in Aleppo. And as you heard, this guy declared Allahu Akbar and began chanting a hadith of the Prophet Muhammad's victory in war. And he then said, remember the people in Aleppo. So clearly this was a vengeful Sunni Islamist response to Russian involvement in Syria, to Erdogan's outreach to Russia, when in fact, ultimately, this is going to probably help Erdogan and Putin get closer. But this is an AKP 
Islamist supremacist who decided he was going to teach his government a lesson and also teach the Russians a lesson. Evil. Outside any rules of war, terrorism by any aspect of the imagination. And and you can learn a lot from Erdogan's response. The government there said, oh, this was a ghoulinist attempt, just like the Reichstag fire we talked about months ago, where Erdogan cleansed his military of ghoulinists and other non-Erdogan faithful and used a coup to trigger that and and say that that was why that needed to be done, when in fact odds are very high, though we may never know that the whole thing was staged in order to get rid of the 20,000-plus higher-ranking folks in the military and universities and professors and others that were not loyal to Erdogan. Well, this individual decided he would get it done right away, and he was shot dead after he shot the Russian ambassador dead. Now, the Russians said they were going to respond with full force on ISIS. And I would tell you that, just like our relationship with the Saudis, you know, it's interesting. Look at the Saudis. After 9-11, they said they were going to be with us in the war against Al-Qaeda. Gosh, you know, look at how similar this process is. The Saudis create a society that's dominated by Wahhabi Islam. The Saudis create an ideology that fuels the Al-Qaedaization of their society the anti-American, anti-Semitic, deep ideology. Then comes a movement that says, we want Western influence out of the Arab Peninsula, and they decide to attack the USS Cole and then create an operation that became 9-11. And they said that the biggest threat was the royal family, because not because of their Islam, but because of their allies that have compromised the Islamic identity of the Arab Peninsula and allowed the West to build bases on Saudi Arabia. And thus they looked upon the royal family of Saudi Arabia as traitors to the Islamic State. Not un-Islamic, perhaps, but not certainly not secular, but traitors to the Islamic State. So this type of movement we see with this Turkish rogue officer who became a terrorist is natural for the AKP. That's how they're bred. It's what Erdogan's ideology is. But this guy went rogue against his policy and his friendship and outreach towards Russia that had shifted from a policy that Erdogan had been radicalizing his own. So the only solution to this is counter-Islamism. Russia knows nothing about counter-Islamism. If they did as Erdogan flexes his muscles and now Putin flexes his muscles against ISIS. What's going on in Chechnya? Chechnya is a cauldron of radical Islam and has been for generations and is only continuing to worsen. Syria is going to turn into another Afghanistan for Russia. God knows how many years is 
They'll still be in there, but at the end, they'll probably end up pulling out the way they did out of Afghanistan. And now there's reports that Russia has been involved in funding and fueling the Taliban in Afghanistan against America and against the governments there to destabilize Afghanistan for their own kleptocratic needs financially of what they can rape and pillage from the economy of Afghanistan. That's a piece I've posted, a number of those pieces from Reuters and else other known media on my Facebook page at MZ Jasser. Follow me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser and my Facebook at MZ Jasser. So this isn't as complicated as it would look. Russia is a kleptocracy, an autocracy that's party has decided to affiliate itself with the Shia Islamists from Iran to Iraq Shia Islamists to Assad's fascist Islamist cooperation with Iran and working now closely with Hezbollah. The assassination of the Russian ambassador, I think, shows you that this yin and yang between Shia and Sunni Islamist radicals will continue. As one reaches out to the other, they will attempt to assassinate and destabilize that yin and yang. I hope and I pray that over the next decade we begin to find a third path. That both paths of Islamism between Sunni and Shia Islamism are evil. That the only solution is real revolutions against these dictatorships and to prevent the foreign interventions of Russia, Iran, and others in that in Syria or in any of these countries, as now it's no longer like when we went into Iraq, we destabilized the country, I think very morally, that was being tyrannically oppressed by Saddam Hussein, but there was no indigenous revolution. In Syria, there's an indigenous revolution. Get Russia, Iran out of foreign interference and allow the people to have the revolution they started in 2011, I think eventually the Islamists will lose. It might take a while. Look in Iran. The Islamists have been in control since the Shah left in 1979, but if they have that green revolution to go to fruition, the Islamists will never take control again because the people do not want theocracy. That's my firm belief, and that's what this program is about. When we come back, we're going to get a little bit on the lighter side. Talk about Adam Salah, this YouTube prankster who decides to do another prank, I think. The data's not back, but bottom line is, is there's too many more questions than answers in his latest escapade video of supposedly getting kicked off Delta. And a lot of Islamist grievance groups have egg on their face today. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. Most wonderful time. Uh, don't you agree? Uh, yes. There's uh, much jingle belling in the hearts. I think we'll be swelling, which is a real serious medical condition. 
When the heart swells. Yes. Yeah, you don't you want, want that. that to happen. You don't want I mean, uh, Jeffings is about to explode out of his chest right now. <laughs> but uh, that's not normal. That's it's not, not normal. You don't want Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jesser. Dr. Zudi Jesser, welcome back to our last segment this week of Reform This. On our Christmas weekend, and Merry Christmas to all my Christian brothers and sisters. And, you know, I want to end on this story. Now, in some ways, it's a lighter story, but in other ways, uh, as an American Muslim, this is really runs at the core of the deep cancer that we have. And uh, let me just start by saying, you know, those who define and live themselves or define themselves by the grievance will die by the grievance and destroy us by the grievance. And there's this so-called famous YouTube hack by the name of Adam Saleh, S-A-L-E-H. He's got uh, hundreds of thousands of subscribers, and these guys are just uh, pranksters who get uh, teenagers to follow them on YouTube, and they get subscribers. As many of you know, it's uh, quite a lucrative thing to get paid by YouTube based on the clicks. So they try to do things outrageous. And if you just go to uh, his YouTube page, which I, I am loath to, to have you do, but uh, and just type in Arabs on a plane, and you'll get different um, videos. He had one from 10 months ago that said counting down in Arabic on a plane experiment. And he watched what people were looking, took videos of them. Uh, and uh, also has one never wear this on an airplane uh, when being an Arab. Speaking Arabic on a plane is another one from three years ago. And he was actually recently just in New Zealand in which there was uh, a report of him faking an airplane incident. And um, so this week, the Twitterati were abuzz with this uh, YouTube star who had video in which he wasn't hoaxing anyone. Supposedly, he was le- legitimately trying to tell people that he was being kicked off an airplane. But it wasn't legitimate. It had stunk to high heaven. It was another one of his hoaxes, and people sort of sh- seen it from a mile away. This is a guy who even two years ago in 2014, the notorious... Hamas connected Council on American Islamic Radicalization, I'm sorry, Islamic Relations, had asked him to apologize because of a hoax in which I think either women had had a hijab ripped off or or something uh, that he had created a video for turned out to truly have been staged. Well, he did it again. Tried to uh, take a video uh, in which He was being escorted off the plane in Delta, and sure enough, a few reporters, a few folks on the airplane started talking. More than 20 passengers complained about his behavior, his shouting, his disturbance, and he was asked to leave because of that behavior. He claimed he was asked to leave because he was speaking to his mother on the phone in Arabic. And he said he was crying after he got off the plane. Never in a million years would he have thought to experience something like this. 
the victim mindset was exploited. He posted on Twitter that he'll be visiting his lawyer once he lands in New York City. And he said he was taking off and that they he was going to have to address this with his attorneys. And sure enough, the Twitter universe realized that this is the same guy posting this video being kicked off or about to be kicked off because he spoke Arabic and then got on another flight and said he when he landed, he would get his attorney. They figured out it was the same guy who has a whole YouTube page of hoaxes. And this is worthy of a discussion. Why? Again, those of us, those groups who have soaked up the bandwidth of attention in America to the Muslim issues by saying that we are attacked, we are victims, America's bigoted and anti-Islam, individuals like this make it a thousand times harder. And he even tweeted out, apparently now speaking to real attorneys, that he wasn't going to speak to media and that it may appear that he's cried wolf before, but he's still stuck by his likely hoax or simply likely a behavior malfunction in which things got out of control. And this is a few days after two major terror incidents. You know, I remind you here in Phoenix, we had a bunch of imams who decided they were going to pray in front of a gate and exercise their religious freedom a few years after 9-11 as security was beginning to change significantly in airports in order to prevent another one of those from happening. And America was just starting to understand what this war is, this asynchronous war against radical Islamists was all about. But no, these guys deciding to come back from a meeting in Minneapolis wanted to pray at the gate and then when they weren't allowed to board or when they were taken off the flight, they screamed discrimination. And then as Twitter rose and social media rose, we started to see this hashtag flying while Muslim. And sure enough, it became the mainstay of a lot of pop culture discussions, including comedy acts. So can Adam Sala sort of get sanctuary in this being comedy? The imams that I told you about got God knows how much money it was uh, given to them by American Airlines. At the, I'm sorry, U.S. Airways at the time that then became American Airlines and the merger to an undisclosed amount. And I had written a piece at the Middle East Forum that detailed how radical these imams were, some of them local here, how anti-American many of their sermons were and how they had radicalized I believe some of our community to be separatist in mindset, Islamist in mindset. And the flying while Muslim concept was something that these Islamists felt could get them fundraising, could get them attention. And sure enough, that's what they used as their mantra. And that's how they've defined our communities. You wonder where the moderate voices are. We're being exploited and hijacked not only by militants, but by 
separatist movements that want to identify us as Muslims by race, which Muslims is an ideology, it's not a race, that want to separate us out as victims. Live by the grievance, we die by the grievance. And this is not to say that there isn't real bigotry out there. But one of the reasons I do this program is the best way to melt away bigotry that may exist against American Muslims in the West is for them to see us lead the protection of this country's freedom and liberties and constitutional protections, to be the ones to reform the concepts within our faith that are causing this problem. And I think then Americans would see us as the solution and not as the problem. But the silence, the hyper-victimization, the grievance mills that speak for Muslims have made us into a bunch of whiners instead of leaders. They have melded the Black Lives Matter movement into flying while Muslim movement. And again, this is not to say that in the Black Lives Matter movement there isn't legitimate grievances. But I hope that's not how the African-American community defines itself. I hope that's not what they're teaching their children at the dinner tables, is that their identities are defined by their race, but rather by their humanity. And that's what I believe Martin Luther King taught in his great oratory and teachings was that it was not about race. It was about equality and respect under the law for all. And this is what we as Muslims need to teach our kids. This is not a joking matter. This man should, there should be movements from Muslims to tell them, we don't want this guy. He should be first on the no-fly list. Adam Saleh should have to ride a bus to go anywhere in this country from now on because he abused the privilege of flying, because he has ridiculed and mocked what it means to be Muslim and exploited a very sensitive time in this country's security and cultural adjustment to the threat that comes from within what is a minority community here in America, that's the American Muslim community, but globally is a quarter of the world's population that has hundreds of millions of Islamists that are breeding millions of jihadist militants. So the details are probably yet to come out. There have been cases of discrimination that should not have happened. But I have to tell you, for the amount of bandwidth that America spends talking about on mainstream media about discrimination, so-called Islamophobia and other acts, it is doing American Muslims a disservice. Our Muslim reform movement talks nothing. Yes, we will not give up any of our civil rights, but we will protect them by destroying the ideas of the caliphate, destroying the legitimacy of the Sharia institutions that rob women of equality, that rob Christians and Jews of respect of equality, that don't allow our children to make choices for themselves, but rather get forced into tribalisms, that don't allow our faith community to have critical inquiry against 
imams and others that shove their their interpretations of Islam down our throat. No, instead of focusing on that and having viral movements that teach our children that that's the legacy, our legacy are millions of YouTube hits of Adam Salah and others. And look who retweeted to Delta, that boycott Delta hashtag this week. Yasser Qadi, the so-called anti-Salafi expert, who is actually a Salafi, who is a egregious, I believe, radicalizer, maybe anti-militant and doesn't like the violence of Al-Qaeda, but certainly seems to have significant sympathies with separatist Islamist movements and the Wahhabi-Salafi movement. He may claim not to be a Wahhabi, but he's certainly a Salafi, as uh, Al-Maghrib Institute has been noted to give talks against democracy, liberalism, and secularism. And sure enough, Yasser Qadi retweeted and tweeted about Boycott Delta. And others tweeted against Delta and trying to make this viral about the Arab Muslim who was kicked off, when in fact Delta should be suing those who exploited a story without knowing the facts in order to feed their own victimization narratives. I hope and pray that our community rise above these narratives, that we become leaders, that we not define ourselves by grievances, but define ourselves by the values of the founding fathers and how they fought theocracy, and that we come together against theocrats and separatists from within our community that people like Adam Salah be marginalized and their YouTube channels ignored and that we begin to pay attention to podcasts and YouTube channels of reformers, of many of us who are dedicating our lives to repairing the world and not dividing the world. Merry Christmas to all of you. I hope you have a blessed holiday season. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me week to week. This is Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.